Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depths of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey guys, welcome to What's the Word Downtown with Pastor Eric Barton. I'm Matt McGill, and we're talking through a terrific sermon yesterday. Oh, thank you. Ephesians 5. What was it? 22 22 to 33. 22 through 33. Wives and husbands. But really, that's the the lens through which Paul gives us a crystallized look at the gospel in action. Absolutely. And in the normative life of the Christian with one man, one woman, uh, making a case, as it were, day by day, struggle by struggle, joy by joy, making a case... uh, for the mystical reality that where two are gathered in his name, he is mm. present. Yeah. And, that, and that's that's essentially what you, you once you get married, right, uh, you are two gathered in his name until one of you dies. Right. Yeah. Gathered to get together yeah. in his name, his him being present, strengthening uh, and and fortifying and uh, illuminating with his presence the path of marriage, which is ultimately uh, cruciform. Not only cruciform, it's also life-giving and resurrection-bringing, but ultimately cruciform. You spoke, and one thing that you said that really caught my attention is when you said marriage, or you said something about uh, uh, ego. Oh, a cross-shaped ego. A cross-shaped ego. And and I think, I, I don't I don't remember where, but it seemed to be something uh, about the men. Husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church, yeah. giving yourself up for her. Because there are so many other messages, so many other forces, so many other influences that try to shape our egos one mm-hmm. way or the other, whether it's tradition, mm-hmm. whether it's the the collection of cultures that we all live in. When we say culture, we just mean what most people do most of the time. That's culture. And so we all live in a collection of cultures. There's not just culture. There's a whole bunch of them that we're all privy to and we have access to. And all of those things are affecting us, influencing us. So we have tradition. We have family systems that shape our ego. Most of the time, all of those influences are really shaping us away from what the cross is trying to do. Mm. When I say the cross, I mean euphemistically, mm-hmm. all that Christ has done, all that he is, where we are free to give ourselves away because we have all that we need. That's mm. a cross-shaped ego mm. that says, I don't have to earn, obtain, grasp, and get. I have. Mm. And so I'm now unleashed to live for the sake of another. It's mm. my life for you, plural, not your lives for me. That's a cross-shaped ego that is completely unnatural. It is supernatural. A new kingdom. It's a new kingdom ethic. It's the We talked about this last week. It's yeah. the, the heaven and O 3.0 person mm. living in a 2.0 context mm. that we see this most presciently lived out in the context of marriage. I mean, the New Testament thrust and the theme is one another. Okay, so 2,000 years ago, what does it look like? What does marriage look like? I mean, I want to know what kind, I want to know if this was a radical message. Totally radical. In the Greco-Roman context, specifically in the Roman Empire, marriage 
was really nothing more than contractual. It was a business deal mm -hmm. between two fathers. I see. Who would marry their kids off for uh, an increase in influence, prosperity, protection, all these kinds of things. But it and also kept the dough consolidated. It, it did. All the horses in it one did. stable and all that. On the one hand, you can look at it and say, hey, there's some value there because who knows more about the person than the parents? Mm. Nobody, mm. not the person. We have kind of said in the West mm. that the person knows what's best for the person. That's patently false, right. as is evidenced by the, the errors that we have. Sure. But it was a business contract. And there's still some of that in the world today, in Eastern contexts, where it's just a family extension program, as all marriage is. Mm. And so when he says, no, I want you to enter into this loving, you have to do that in that context with a complete stranger, essentially. Mm -hmm. I want you to seek the good of this person that you really barely know above your own. That was radically different. I mean, even to be a little bit direct, even uh, sexual relationships, it was sort of understood that's not what marriage was about. That took place outside of marriage in a grotesque way when Paul talks about that as well. But marriage was a contractual business arrangement. And so Paul says, no, I want you to love your spouse the way Christ loves the church. It's a radical upending and transformation. Well, and, when you're, and when you're operating under the context of a co contract, it's much easier to oppress somebody. Of course. It, you of know, course. it's like if I use the heavy hand, she'll do exactly what I want. But if I'm called to love her as Christ loved the church, it's going to it's going to create or expose a cognitive dissonance where it says, how can I oppress somebody I'm called to love? Well, sure. And since we're talking contracts, sure. we have to talk about the economics of relationships. Right. In a free market capitalistic culture in which we live, which is a, a fine thing, yeah. he or she who has competitive advantage wins. Now, that makes sense if you're talking about natural resources and gross domestic product and all those kinds of things. That's okay. That's that's yeah. a competitive market space. But in the context of marriage, that's catastrophic. It's damaging when I have competitive advantage over my spouse and I use that to gain hand or to get what I want. Man, that is the, the centrality of objectification. Mm -hmm of somebody who bears the very image of God. Mm -hmm. And the sad reality is many of our marriages, even in evangelicalism, are products of an economic mindset in Western civilization. Which is ultimately dehumanizing. It is. So you have a relationship created by a God of love for our good and his glory, wherein two miserable people not understanding it at all are not growing in, in Christ. Yeah. They're not learning uh, where is the uh, wellspring or, or where is the capacity to forgive when the when when things are inevitably uh, out, you know out of balance. That is mm -hmm. to say, he's bringing more to the table than I am, and he's angry about it, or she's bringing more to the table than than I am, and I'm ashamed of myself. And you know, how how do we find a uh, Level playing ground is even not even mm -hmm. the right word. There's something. How how, how do you find uh, something? How do you how how can you see a cross and say that's what I want, <laughs> that's what I need? You can't. Okay. You can't. I can't. Nobody can unless we are filled by the Spirit. Mm. Not having this ecstatic 
encountered with the Spirit. No, we are indwelled permanently, eternally by the Spirit, yeah. but increasingly filled by the Spirit, guided, guarded by the Spirit. That's what helps us to go, man, that is what's best. It's John the Baptist looking at Jesus saying, he must increase, I must decrease. And I get to look in the face of my wife and go, yeah, I get to decrease and I get to watch as a front row seat filler, her being glorified. Mm. I mean, th th Romans 8, right? Those whom he calls, he justified. Those whom he calls, ultimately all these things, he justifies, he glorified. We get to have, in a sense, the same role as Jesus that Paul describes in Romans 8. And I don't just mean men. I mean people in the spousal relationship. Mm -hmm. We are a part of their glorification. Mm -hmm. Only God does that, but we get to be participants in it. As, as you decrease, which yes. is it's, it's the exact uh, inversion of a scarcity-riddled mindset That's it. that says as a zero-sum game, more for me is less for you, and more for you is less for me. Instead, here is to say less for me is more for you, and that's more for me. Yes, that's exactly right. Up is down, is up. Yeah. And so we say this all the time. Frustration is an expectation not met, which is why so many people are so frustrated in their marriage is they have an expectation that this is going to fulfill me. Mm -hmm. This is the ultimate thing. Mm -hmm. And when she steps out of the marriage or he steps out of the marriage, that thing that I have treated as ultimate is essentially an idol mm -hmm. and it's under equipped to be God in my life. And instead of fe feeling fulfilled, like I thought I would, I'm emptier I'm than I empty. could have ever imagined. I'm vacuous. And it's his fault. Of course. Or it's her fault. Correct. They have emptied me. Right. And, and, and while that is oftentimes true, uh, it's your misunderstanding of marriage that allowed yourself to be manipulated all these years. I, I, I understand that there is oftentimes victim and perpetrator, but a, 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 a clear view of the word would lead us to understand that we are both victim yeah. and per perpetrator. Absolutely. E even in our own, I mean, I will, you know, you, you make two bowls of ice cream and you walk around the corner uh, and you hand the one that has less ice cream in it to your <laughs> wife. I mean, it, 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 it distills. Hypothetically. Hi, yeah, <laughs> but it distills down to this sense of like, um, where, what do I, what do I feel that I deserve? Everything. Yeah. And I deserve really the lake of fire, hmm. which that's a complete reversal in mindset. That's my entitlement. But we go through life believing all of the propaganda that says we're entitled to this, that, and the other. And then we're shocked when it doesn't work out. But this is the thrust of Ephesians when there's so much wonderful doctrine of who God is, what he's done. Because of all that, because of now our identity in Christ, mm -hmm. that is most manifest and reflective of the gospel when we submit to one another. Mm -hmm. And it starts... Yes, in the home. Now look, just to get super practical, late 20th century, a lot of evangelicalism and Protestantism was trying to propagate this whole family values, family yeah. values, but they went at, at it so moralistically, so legalistically, that they threw the baby out with the bathwater. And so, yes, the societal building block is the home in which a, a husband and a wife are submitting to one another, but being spirit-filled, not being moralistic and behaviorist. Now that's, that's important because the, the minute I start trying to be moral, there are several different roads 
There's several different paths that can come off that. One is an obvious, right? Good job, right? Pride. Another is anxiety about not being able to. I had a good day, but tomorrow's gonna. You know, it's like every day you've got to wake up and be moral. And we let's face it, that is that is submission to a law. That's a chain, sure. That that that, that Christ has removed from us. Yeah. That his his announcement. Uh, upon the cross of it is finished is relieves us from that pressure to be moral at the same time the love he has shown us leads to repentance yeah. leads to lives where we can say i must decrease that he may increase or i must decrease that she may increase and right. i say that's within the spousal relationship sure. those postures become easier and easier when we receive the filling of the spirit and that's the key. Right. Yeah. So we as Christians often like to take pot shots at government for trying to legislate morality. Like, you can't do that. That's silly. And yet we have a tendency in the church, mm-hmm. in macro and micro contexts of trying to legislate morality mm-hmm. by saying things like, well, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. It's not the thrust of Scripture. It is, no, be filled with the Spirit. God is right. actively wanting by his spirit to fill us, meaning to love us, lead us, guide us, guard us, Mm -hmm. to relent from all of the other competitive forces that are trying to fill us. Say, no, 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 I want to do, and the way we do that is corporately together. That's what, and that's what I was gonna say. If I heard any quote unquote should, even implied uh, in your voice, that is, I'm I'm always looking for, as your freedom fighter, I'm always looking, (laughs) I want to make sure that Pastor Eric is not laying down any laws on us. At the same time, yesterday and for the past few weeks, you have been hammering away at the uh, at the premise that the gift to the individual believer is the body of Christ, yes, in whom the Spirit of Jesus dwells now for your good and His glory. Mm-hmm. Why, why, Christian, would you deprive yourself of that week after week after week and think that your marriage would not be worse for the wear? having deprived yourself of the body, the refreshment, the uh, encouragement, just the, uh, just the co, I don't want to say codependency, but you could say codependency upon Christ. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I've needed Jesus in that very same way. You did too. <sighs> Wasn't he good? But do you know, but that's so vital, the question to ask. Yeah. Why Christian would you deprive yourself? Because many Christians, not all, many Christians go into church with the same flawed expectation that they enter into marriage. That's it. That it's, I'm in this for me. What am I going to get out of it? I've tried the bride and found her wanting. I'll go find it someplace else. You know what? There's not a bride, the church, that actually meets my needs. I don't need her after all. I'll just sit at home or I'll do whatever. You've entered into church the same way you've entered into marriage Thinking with expectation, not gratitude. Yes, this is again what. So I'm going to invoke the man from Duke University, Stanley. Woo-hoo. Never say his name. Harwas. Harwas. He says that the fundamental flaw in Western understanding of marriage is a personal fulfillment ethic. And if you have, and we all do, a personal fulfillment ethic in marriage or in church, you're always going to fall. And it starts with the right premise: I need to be fulfilled. Correct. You already are. You already are. That's the gospel. That's but, why a marriage but, is the gospel. But, and because we live in the culture that we live in, so many people back up into marriage. Yes. 
not understanding what it is. And it's like, you know, sometimes you'll, I'll be doing prebarental counseling and, and I'm trying my best to say to you uh, what it is that you're going to be doing. But ultimately, that's just gnosis, not epinosis. That is knowledge I give to you, not experiential knowledge that you have to experience. It's a right. crucible, isn't it? I mean, it in, in our context, more often than not, the Christian gets married with no idea, really, of what he's actually doing. And honestly, the old, uh, the wonderful uh, quote, uh, I forget who said it, but that love is the victory of imagination over reason mm-hmm. necessitates that the older we get, the less reasonable it, it becomes to get married. So it's almost in God's sovereignty that he means for young people who still have the imagination. And it takes, it takes a foolish imagination mm-hmm. to get caught up in the premise of love. That, that ultimately cannot satisfy, but seems to on the front end, then people get married and they find inevitable disappointment. Right. And as John Zoll says, everybody needs a second marriage. Pray that it's <laughs> to the same wife you had in the first right. marriage. That is to say, yeah. once you become, once you enter into the disillusionment or the disappointment or the frustration of your prior assumption about what marriage is, you have the opportunity to receive it as it is or flee and, and, and stay in the illusion to your own detriment yeah. and to the detriment of your wife and your kids and their grand, and the grandkids. I mean, it, it all breaks down from there. I don't know if I really got to a point except, <laughs> That's how ex- we do. except to say that in our culture, we do kind of back, it, back into it, which is why marriage needs to be, like you said, the showplace of his glory, the normative showplace of his glory, the normative way for Christians to communicate that covenant love mm-hmm. is the, that's, that is love. I mean, we use covenant as, as a, uh, as an adjective covenant love, but really it's love and it's fueled by covenant. Like right. the co- covenant is the, the promise. Sometimes they said the promise fuels the passion. Mm. Have you have you preached that? I mean, do you have you ever have you ever married a couple and you're going, you have no idea, but the finding out is where your yeah. understanding of grace expands. I have had the privilege of yeah. marrying a lot of people, and in some, certain of those covenantal forgings, to look at them both in private yeah. and then in front of all of their family and friends and say, you have no shot. Which is not an encouraging message, except for the gospel. When it comes in and infiltrates every aspect of your being and your being together, then you get to discover the wonder of the gospel actually transforming things that you didn't really think needed to be transformed. Mm -hmm. We all go into marriage thinking, yeah, you know what? I've got some rough spots, but really I'm kind of great. And I know that she's kind of great. And so we're going to, it'll be fine. We'll have some little spats every now and then about who does the dishes or who, but, but generally we're great. No, 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 no. You get to experience this dying, dying, dying to self, not stopping being alive. No, the separation from what used to be your drive, that ego gets reforged, reshaped into someone else's life rather than my own. And that's when I become most alive. So this idea that I go into any relationship, church, marriage, friend, work, whatever, thinking I'm going to be fulfilled, that's the cultural normalcy. But the gospel says, no, you are fulfilled already. Your fulfillment is not your project ever. And I can't wait to see you, new couple, discover that. 
I can't wait to see you grow into that as you separate from that which was. Because one day, man, this is what we say all the time, and this is what Paul's talking about in this passage. Yeah. One day, all of this will be stripped away, and love will be the tie that binds forever and all eternity. All remains. And mm -hmm. we get to live that way now, despite still having to deal with the sin nature, the filling of the Spirit is so crucial. So really, it's the thrust of the second half of Ephesians is this notion of being filled with the Spirit. In view of all of this wonderful doctrine and truth, our, not should, our opportunity, our privilege is to be filled with the Spirit and to be heaven and earth 3.0 people living in a 2.0 time and place. Can the Spirit, can you be filled with the Spirit and be caught up in the ego concurrently? I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's almost like even as we walk through this Ephesians, he's using this time of this, this essentially mini sermon about marriage yeah. as a path to decrease. Yeah. I mean, it is a path to decrease. Submission. Submission. Subjection. I don't I mean, have to I get have, my way. I don't have to submit to Megan necessarily, but I have to submit to the process of marriage upon me. That is, that is not the process of marriage, the author of marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a higher intentionality than, than what I think, than what I want, than what I feel that I need at any given moment. That's right. There's a higher, there's, it's like, it's like a game that I don't really, it's not a game. It, it's a, it's uh, something's happening that's, it's happening to me. It's like, I'm, uh, I'm active, but I'm also, it also is, it necessitates a, a level of go with the flow, not passivity. That's the wrong word. Anytime you're talking to men about marriage, there is yeah. an act, there is a, there is an active reliance mm -hmm. upon the power of God to give you peace when it seems like the, this should not be so. This marriage should not feel this way. This marriage should not be leave. You know, there's a, one, one, one uh, counselor one time said, you know, turn and look at each other and say, repeat these words, you are not the enemy. <laughs> because as Paul says, our yeah. battle is not against flesh and blood, right? but it's against this realm that would overwhelm us, that would leave us in disappointment and despondency. Uh, but we have one another uh, to for, for our mutual encouragement, for we our do. mutual lifting up. That's right. If we co-suffer marriage redemptively, yeah. Right, and this is just doesn't sound like a Hallmark card. Would you co-suffer marriage with me? Right, and there is a fear that if I relent, if I submit, if I subject, all those seem very, very much like synonyms for losing, and it isn't. And there's this fear of if I empty myself and sort of maybe even adopt on the positive spin of emptying myself in the Zen Buddhist. Mm -hmm. approach that mm -hmm. says, I'm going to empty myself unto nothingness and not feel anything. But that's so upside down, opposite, inside out, and backwards from the gospel that says, I do submit, relent, subject myself. I don't get my way. But the great news is that I'm not filled with nothingness of the universe. No, I'm filled with the very person of the Son of God, who is the greatest human being ever. I'm filled to the, I mean, he says it in the gospel, Luke, Filled to the brim, shaken up, pressed down, and overflowing. 
That's what we get, not emptied into nothingness, but but filled way beyond even our capacity to comprehend. Because he who emptied himself is always, in a sense, is always on the cross as our prototype, but also as our presence, as his presence with us. Like uh, I was telling a guy the other day, I said, if you need to know how to how to how to act in marriage, just look at Jesus. Yeah. Just look at Jesus, who was able to say, forgive her, for she knows not what she does. Yeah. You know, uh, who can turn and, and, and endure whatever momentary cross for the glory set before him, for the prize that was set before him. We read Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem. Yeah. That there's, a, there's an intentional walking into this decreasing kind of life that he would increase and that we would set free his presence in our marriage. And I'm telling you, you know this, but it's like water to a thirsty man <laughs> when, when it can return in an instant. Intimacy, yeah. love. Uh, we talked to the kids the other day about how, uh, how we met and how we fell in love and how all that, all that, that, that physically, emotionally, psycho, spiritually, all of those things that we were too young to even understand were happening to us was God's guiding hand leading us together. And as the uh, tyranny of the urgent and raising kids right. and jobs and responsibilities and plans and COVID and everything is, <laughs> I mean, it's one, it's one, sometimes one, seems like one fight after another, but it's also one healing after another. Right. So that every what every cross ends up connected to a measure of deliverance from that cross, mm -hmm. never, uh, or not from, but through mm -hmm. that cross. And again, you just go back and forth between hanging on a cross and walking out of an empty, you know, walking out of an empty tomb. There is a sense of um, Christ illuminating and filling what would otherwise be a, just a, you'd just be going. What happened when I got married all those years ago? Because it's not you're just just like you're not you're not the same person. You're, this is what you said. That's yesterday. it. That's it. You are changing. You are being reborn through every cross that your marriage presents you. If you learn or if you yield to the Spirit who pulls you through it. Well, and that's it. As we wrap this up, yeah, we say this all the time. We are thinking thinkers, we're feeling feelers, we're loving lovers. And as we submit to God's word and the truths and the deep emotional impact that God's word brings to us, as thinking thinkers, feeling feelers, those things change. What we think about God changes. What we feel about God changes. And therefore, we change. Mm -hmm. And so too do our spouses, so too do our kids and our brothers and sisters and our community members. We change. And so we get to seek another's highest possible good in a different way than we did two decades ago, in a different way than we will in two decades. So when people say our marriage is stagnant and it's old, I'm thinking it's because you're still trying to do it the way you did two decades ago. But this is a different person that you get to love and seek their highest possible good all the days that God gives you together, till death do you part. And that's how the gospel's lived out. It's beautiful. Good that's stuff. exciting, man. Thank you. Look, Sunday morning, we're going to do it again. Yep. 10 a.m., uh, we'll be jumping off into children and parents. <laughs> yes. Uh, logical extension of last of week's uh, cruciform marriage and new life found through it. 
Right we on. thank you uh, for hanging with us today. Thank you, Pastor, for the, the time. And we look forward to seeing you this Sunday at 10 a.m. Amen. God bless. Bye now.